Hey everyone, this is Steve Cuff from OptimismVaccine.com and Discourse from the Big Chair, the Tears for Fears podcast that you're listening to right now. So, thing about this week's episode, um, I've been using the same recording equipment for about five years now, and it's a setup that I spent mm, maybe $50 on, and it is finally reaching the point where it doesn't really work as it's intended anymore. As a result, uh, the recording sounded pretty good when we were actually recording, but then when I went back to edit the audio, it turned out that there's this weird echo effect that sort of happened. Anyways, um, we've done our best to sort of salvage the conversation. We thought it was, you know, really good. We liked the podcast. We didn't want to redo things. So it's definitely listenable, but it's not optimal. So apologies in advance and good news on Black Friday. I ordered a brand new mixer board, so that should help alleviate some of our problems moving forward. Anyways, uh, if you know how to edit audio files, you want to help us out, <laughs> drop us an email, I guess, optimismvaccine at gmail.com. Other than that, thanks for listening and hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of Discourse from the Big Chair. Uh, this is the number one Tears for Fears podcast in the hearts and minds of Tears for Fears fans and probably the iTunes charts because as far as we know, there's no other Tears for Fears podcast. So, no. Get on it, world. Best by default, baby. That's how we do it. Uh, no competition. <laughs> but yeah, people people have been, uh, they've been clamoring for a new episode. So we got we to mm-hmm. give the fans what they want here. And uh, we actually, we have something great to talk about. There are actual new Tears for Fears songs, and there's sort of a new Tears for Fears album? Yep. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a real album on the way, but I mean, we, we cover everything. Uh, and of course, Tears for Fears just, uh, was it like last week, two weeks ago, they released a Greatest Hits compilation, which is an interesting move because how many Greatest Hits compilations do Tears for Fears have? Because by my estimation, they have roughly a thousand. It's close to that. Um, <laughs> Do you know the exact number by any chance? This is like a real hot seat question for you. I don't know the exact number, but I know for sure they've released an average of one every year since the year 2000. That seems excessive. Um, at least between the year 2000 and the year 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go to like allmusic.com, they're all listed. It's mm-hmm. a ridiculous amount. Obviously, these aren't endorsed by them. Yeah. Yeah. But... The record label owns masters. They can do whatever they want. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, yeah, and, and this is, it's kind of odd too, because if you look at the track list for this particular album, uh, it, it does have, that's uh, one track from uh, Everybody Loves a Happy Ending. Mm-hmm. But other than that, it's, it, it feels like this is, this is going to sound ridiculous. It's like a greatest hits of their greatest hits album. Like it, it's every, mm-hmm. it's basically everything that you would expect to see with a, with a few omissions, but for the most part, it, it's all there. Strangely, the prisoner didn't make the cut. I can't imagine why. <laughs> well, if I may be, a little, if I may geek out a little bit here, yeah, yeah. Um, I think that the greatest hits album they released in 1992, Tears Roll Down, was. Uh, Fantastic Greatest Hits album from 82 to 92. Sure. All of those songs are on this compilation with the exception of what was then a brand new song, mm-hmm. Laid So Low, Tears Roll Down, which I'm actually surprised that's not on this 
compilation. Sure. Um, this compilation definitely follows the rule of what was a top 40 hit, specifically in the UK. So all of the top 40 hits are there except for the song The Way You Are, yeah. which they hate and they've sort of disowned. Mm -hmm. um, that being said, uh, this <laughs> well, we can get into it a little bit further once mm -hmm. we go through the list. But uh, yeah, it's only one song from Everybody Loves a Happy Ending is very disheartening to me. Yeah, that was kind of a bummer. Uh, that was the first thing I noticed when they released the track list. Is I was like, you know, scrolling through it. And I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, where, why, just one song? I mean, I can think of. You could put three or four tracks from that album, and I'm biased because I absolutely love that record. Yeah, uh, probably more so than a lot of fans and critics and and other uh -huh. people. But I mean, if if I had to, if I was ranking their albums, that would be, I. I it, if not number two, then certainly number three for me. Yeah, same for me. I mean, I would even maybe I've put it at number one before. Yeah, like that's how much I love that record. No, I, I can listen to it front to back, no problem. Which I can't say that about a lot of albums that I love. So it, it was kind of odd that they just had the one track. Um, and then the other thing that I noticed on this greatest hits compilation is all the hits that you'd expect are there, but there's some sort of odd choices in terms of which versions of the song they decided to include. So the first one on here is they actually include, well, of course, Shout is going to be on there. They don't even have like a, a greatest hits compilation called Shout, the best of tears for fans oh, yeah. or something. And that's yeah. actually a pretty good one mm -hmm. if you come across it. Yeah. Uh, and and this is the, the seven inch edit, which I assume is basically the radio edit of this song. So instead yeah. of the six minute version, it's like the, what is it? Four and a half minutes. It just edits out the uh, guitar solo at the end. Yeah. Or it just, fades out during the guitar solo, which I think is just, it's, <laughs> I feel it's a very iconic moment in the song, so it's odd to, like, take that out. Oh, totally, totally. It's it's really strange, too, because as far as big pop hits and as far, you know, 80s pop hits, it doesn't get much bigger than Shout. Uh, it's odd that, I, I don't know, it, it's a song that feels like it's it's big, but it needs to be big. <laughs> yeah. It, it uses all of its six minutes. And I'm sure anyone who's like listening to the podcast, or maybe you're going through it for the first time, if you go back to the songs from the Big Chair album, I'm sure I complain with the songs too fucking long. Uh, oops, sorry for the swear, all the TFF moms <laughs> out there. Uh, <laughs> I'll try and keep it PG. Anyways. It, it, By I, the way, I, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> oh. We're having fun. We're having uh, fun here. Yeah. So, but I, I'm sure I complained about that. But again, this is the thing where this has been a journey for me. So when we started this Tears for Fears podcast, we started because Stephen Coleman, who's sitting next to me right now, is a Tears for Fears super fan. I had I really knew nothing about the band outside of their big hits. Uh, I never had any interest in them. So this was, uh, you know, him basically being an evangelist for Tears for Fears and kind of introducing me to them and their and their bigger discography and. I, I've certainly become a fan, and this is, again, one of those songs that has actually grown on me, which is crazy, too, because if you were to isolate their songs that I was actually familiar with, like Shout would probably be the number one. In fact, uh, Nico Case just recently came out on Twitter and said she loves Tears for Fears. Yeah. And she said Shout was the song that always put her on the fence. <laughs> which I, I can totally get to because it's so... Like, it's it's everything that, that can be big and loaded about Tears for Fears, but it's also, like, this masterful pop song 
like unafraid of being this big, bold band that still makes pop songs. Uh, but yeah, it, it's funny that she she put out a series of tweets, like you said, and she literally like came out as a tear. Like it was a, a confession, yeah. basically, which I think is funny. And, and you know what? If you're if you're just a regular Optimism Vaccine podcast listener and you're listening to this podcast because you love all of our stuff, I'm telling you, you dive into this band, you're gonna you're gonna convert. Everybody converts eventually. It's just a matter of time. Uh, but yeah, it's it's totally odd that they have this this seven inch edit. Um, of course, this this new compilation is called Rule the World. So it, it starts off with Everybody Rules the World, and then it goes into Shout. These are the the, the big hits, and then. We get something new. Yeah. We get a new jam. I'm actually, I'm going to play a little bit of this while we talk, if that's okay. Of course. And uh, hopefully it doesn't drown out our voices, but I guess we'll see later. Uh, <laughs> see how that goes. So, how are we sounding, by the way? Oh, we sound fantastic. All right. Master. Beautiful. Um, if I may, I'll share a story. So, this song premiered on BBC Radio uh, a little over a month ago. And it was like on a morning show, so I actually stayed up at like till like two thirty in the morning just to catch the premiere of world premiere of this song on this like morning drive time BBC radio <laughs> show. Okay. And I guess we'll go into what I what we think about it, if that's yeah, all right. Well, so what was what was your reaction upon hearing this for the first time? In the words of Toby Keith, the shock and awe. <laughs> Why am I making a Toby Keith I reference? Know, man. <laughs> I don't even know him that well. Oh god! Uh, Were you at Toby Keith's? I love this bar and grill. <laughs> well, when you heard it, actually, I think he said "shock and y'all." It was oh, Lord. was it W. Bush? He said "shock and all." Well, whatever. Yeah, yeah. This is a reference that's 14 years old at this point. <laughs> um, I, but I was very shocked just from the opening bars, like how incredibly contemporary and modern it sounded. Not that I wouldn't have expected that, but Tears for Fears, I think it's always sort of had this timeless quality where you can't necessarily put in where their songs are from, even though you can make an argument about the hurting and songs from the big chair, certain sounds from that album, mm -hmm. or from those two albums. But this is just like, wow, this like fits in with literally everything on alternative or even pop radio right yeah. now. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I was... I was sort of, uh, I guess the best way to describe it was I was weirded out the first time that I heard yeah, it. Yeah, me too. Just because the production wasn't what I expected. And, you know, it's been so long since Everybody Loves a Happy Ending came out since they put out like original material. And I guess part of me expected their new album to sort of be an extension of the direction that they were going. But... Of course, I'm a dummy because if you listen to any Tears for Fears album, that's not what they do. Right. <laughs> Which, and maybe that's me being selfish too because I love that album so much. So I'm like, oh, more of that, please. But when I heard this, it's my, my initial gut reaction, which I, I sort of has sort of evolved since then. But it was, it kind of had the tinges of adult contemporary that you see on Tears for Fears, like Elemental and Raul and the Kings of Spain albums. Um, but the, the production is what really threw me for a loop. Mm -hmm. I think the way I described it to you was, it sounds like Imagine Dragons tried to write a Tears for Fears song. Yeah. And it's just, mm -hmm. you know, you have all these, these layers and all, all, all these synth noises, but the thing that really, really just kind of threw it off for me was I'm used to Roland's voice, which is very... 
I hesitate to call it like operatic, but it's it's very dramatic and booming and it's always like front of the mix. And when I first heard this song, I'm like, I don't know if Roland or Kurt is singing because the vocals are much lower in the mix than I'm used to from a Tears for Fear song. And you don't have Roland's vocal flourishes that I've sort of grown accustomed to hearing. Yeah, you get just like a little bit of a tease of that during the chorus. Mm-hmm. But it's very subtle. And I agree, like there's not a lot of that, the vocal acrobatics that yeah. we've come to know him for. Yeah. And <clears throat> you mentioned Imagine Dragons, and I remember you telling that to me. My initial thought was like, yeah, something like that or something like Bastille or like any sort of yeah. alternative pop rock band that's out now. And funnily enough, that's how you say it, right? Funnily? Sure, funnily. We're going with it. I'm a PhD student, by yeah. the way. Hey, <laughs> this is our podcast. We'll make up words. And I'm an English major, so I, I approve. Yeah. Or I was an English major. Anyways. Well, they uh, they co-wrote this song with uh, Dan Smith and the producer who works with Bastille. Oh, well, there you go. And something <laughs> I've always thought about bands like Bastille and Imagine Dragons, you know, because initially I heard this song, it's just like, oh, it sounds just like those guys. Like, it just sounds so contemporary. Mm-hmm. But I remember hearing both of those bands for the first time. <laughs> not necessarily, I'm not really a fan of either one. I'd maybe pick Bastille over Imagine Dragons. Sure, I'd go with that as well. Yeah. Pompeii is kind of cool. Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes. Is that the hey hey That's kind of fun. That was fun to do that just now. Yeah, see, it's fun um, to go hey <laughs> That's why it's such a big hit. Anyway. So they co-wrote this song with Bastille, essentially. Mm-hmm. At least the essential members of Bastille. And when I first heard Bastille, I thought like, oh, these guys sound just like Tears for Fears. Like this is clearly, they're clearly heavily influenced by them. Sure. So it made sense to me after a while of listening to the song. I've listened to the song hundreds of times. Mm -hmm. The day after it came out, like I just listened to it on repeat, constantly walking through the streets of Bloomington, Indiana. And I realized like, well, this is probably what they would sound like now, but it still has a little bit of that like what Bastille thinks Tears for Fears should sound like sound. Mm -hmm. And it's all in the production. It's just that there's not a lot of room for this song to breathe. Yeah. And like Tears for Fears' production has always been very over the top, pretty bombastic, but there were like spaces where you could breathe. I think the only exception I would say is like Sowing the Seeds of Love. That's just a constant wall of sound. Yeah. And that's what this is. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was a bit jarring to me. Oh, totally, totally. Uh, and I will say the the song it's it's grown on me and I like it a lot more now. Even though I was like initially I was kind of like oh boy I don't know I'm yeah. <laughs> which is don't don't grab your pitchforks and, and torches yet tears for fears faithful I promise. Um, but I I'm, I'm interested if if anything even if I'm not completely a hundred percent in love with this song I'm interested to see what the rest of the album is going to be like. You know they they've got my my ear basically I'm, I'm intrigued and it's also interesting that where this is placed on the track list for this greatest hits album so again you start with everybody wants to rule the world big hit shout big hit uh then i love you but i'm lost and the song after that is mad world and the song after that is sowing the seeds of love so basically if you were to if this is pressed on vinyl and you were playing side a like the whole side a of this is just wall-to-wall hits with this new pop song sort of yeah. just inserted in there. So clearly they see this as a big song for them. It, it's yeah. very strategic. 
And that's when I first heard the song too. It's okay. Clearly, they're aiming to have a really big hit here. Yeah. Um, and it is actually being pressed on vinyl, by the way. Oh, is it now? Mm-hmm. That would be nice. Uh, you know, if you guys could get around to it, uh, everybody loves a happy ending. I thought it would be great. <laughs> Gatefold. Yeah, gatefold would be good. Uh, you know, maybe some cool like liner note inserts. Uh, you know, a nice like swirl vinyl of all the colors, like the the reds oh, and the whites. Yeah. yeah, I mean, come on, we can do this. Roland, if you're listening, I do run a record label. We can hook this up, man. I can oh, do a limited run. Just shoot me an email, optimismvaccine at gmail.com. We'll set it up, baby. Yeah, not busy. Oh, <laughs> you're not busy at all. Um, well, the thing with this in talking about the strategy of where that song is on this compilation, mm-hmm. this compilation is very strategic too. Um, since we last talked, Tears for Fears was on Warner Brothers. They recorded a new album for Warner Brothers, and their old label Universal basically bought the new material out and said, "Hey, we want to. We think this new record's going to be great. We want to buy this from Warner Brothers." And we want to promote your catalog before we promote a new album so we can get people buzzing about it. And so far, this has actually been, as much as I don't like to have another greatest hits album, this has been working really well for them. Mm -hmm. Um, It's actually in the UK charts right now. Oh, wow. They have a tour that's coming up in the UK in May. Mm -hmm. It's an arena tour. Whoa. Most of the dates are sold out already. Wow. So... Kudos to the record label, actually, for actually, like, you know, I guess the strategy does work. And hopefully that means more people are going to buy the new album whenever that comes out, presumably sometime in spring of next year. Yeah. That's really interesting, too, because I feel like the way that major labels deal with uh, what are essentially like legacy acts is they put out material with the understanding that it will basically recoup costs, but it's not going to make like a dramatic impact on their bottom line. It's just sort of like a, a safe investment. Uh, so, and that kind of helps fund, you know, new bands and new ventures because I don't know if you know this, but like 90 to 95% of all records that are put out by major labels are failures. And the other like five to 10%, those are the cash cows that sort of fund everything else. So when you have legacy acts that you can bank on, you know that, you know, they'll they'll be in the black. They won't be in the red, basically. Yeah. But it's interesting because they're not usually given big promotional budgets and it's it's very tactics based in how they promote these albums. And this one seems like like you said, like they're getting a big yeah. push, which is very interesting to me. And the fact that Universal went out of their way to buy the catalog, I mean yeah. that that speaks volumes. So and I think that's the strategy that they failed when they released Everybody Loves a Happy Ending, and that's why that record wasn't a commercial success. Mm-hmm. I also feel like that's a, a pretty classic example of uh, just a record getting shredded by major critics. Like, I don't think a lot of the, especially like big online media outlets, I don't think they took the, the record very seriously. Um, you know, your, your pitchforks and whatnot, uh, they were basically like, well, it's fine, but you know, I guess these guys like the Beatles, like that was basically their <laughs> takeaway. And they sort of just sort of poo-pooed it, whereas it's easier because Tears for Fears, and again, I'm not saying this in a disparaging way, but they're not like synonymous with cool. Mm-hmm. It's not like when David Bowie would put out a new record uh, like he did, right like we put out Black Star or mm-hmm. something, where it's just like, oh, this is an essential Bowie record late in his career or something like that. It's just sort of 
they they lump Tears for Fears in with all these new wave bands and they yep. don't really take them seriously. Which and this is another thing that doing this podcast and sort of diving into this has made me reconsider um, a, another band actually from the '80s. So I don't know if you guys know this. If you're listening right now, Modern English put out a new album this yeah. year. You actually turned me onto that. Yeah, it's, so it's really good. I uh, you know how Spotify has the uh, stuff you might like playlist that they get like Discover Weekly playlist, and their song popped out. I'm like Modern English. I melt with you guys. Mm-hmm. And this was basically the same. <laughs> you started talking to me about Tears for Fears years ago, and you're like, yeah, Tears for Fears. I'm like, the shout guys? <laughs> and yeah, Modern English has a new album, and it's good. It's legitimately good. But I mean, these aren't things that you really think about, but it, it sounds like a solid, like it sounds like a wire record or something. Yeah. It's like an essential post punk record, but they get lumped in with all these legacy acts. Yeah. Uh, Unfair. Unfair. None of these none of these bands are like a flock of seagulls. No, which is what a lot of people associate yeah. them with. And they're hot garbage, by the way. Flock Can I make seagulls? a controversial statement? Oh, a flock no. of seagulls suck. <laughs> like Iran is fine. They got lucky with that. Yeah. But if you ever take a deep dive into a flock of seagulls, you're gonna be gravely disappointed. <laughs> I mean, I assumed as much, but I uh I, I have not dipped my toe into that area of, of new wave. Somewhere on the other side of the world or another dimension, there's a flock of seagulls podcast where they're shitting on tears for fears. Yeah. Yeah. Probably <laughs> somewhere. That's, that's, <laughs> if, if we are truly on the darkest of timelines in the world right now, then that exists. Which I think we are. Yeah, we are. That has to exist. It's out there. Uh, yeah. That's, that's going to be a good talk. Good yeah. Chat. <laughs> One more sidebar before we get on more tears for fears thing. Uh, when I was an undergraduate, like a decade ago, I had an advertising class and uh, we had to partner up with someone and come up with a promotional campaign for something. So I got partnered up with this girl and I don't know how we decided to do this, but we both decided it was the best idea ever. But we're like, we're going to do a promotional campaign for a flock of seagulls reunion tour and album. (laughs) And she made, she was really good at Photoshop. So she made this ridiculous picture that I probably don't have anymore, but I wish I did. Cause I, I think about it frequently, but it's, but the, uh, the tour slash album was called return to sea. And she Photoshopped all their heads (laughs) onto these seagulls that were flying through the air. And it was legitimately the dumbest, most amazing thing I've ever done. That's Far better than probably whatever they could have come up with. Yeah, no, <laughs> probably. I mean, I'm sure they're playing a county fair somewhere near. They were, at the, they were at the Wisconsin State Fair last year. Yeah, see, there you go, there you go. They had that episode of Bands Reunited on VH1. Like oh, yeah. So that may have been our inspiration. Who knows? <laughs> uh, but anyways, back to Tears for Fears. So <laughs> I want I want to touch on a few more of these alternate takes. On, on big hits that they've had. So if you, you go to like the B side of, of Rule the World, greatest hits album, they have Change on there, of course, which is amazing. And still one of the greatest concert experiences of my life was watching them play Change in the midst of like a death storm in Grand yeah. Rapids, uh, where they didn't die, thankfully, although there was a moment there where I was just like... It was touch and go. Yeah, it was touch and go. I was a little scared. Uh, but they, they decided to put the, the radio edit to change what is yeah. what is the difference the only difference is that the intro was shorter like there's a few bars taken out of the uh, marimba intro yeah because I, I mean i listened to it and it didn't sound demonstrably different to me but it was obviously short and yeah. yeah 
I think it's only shorter by like maybe 10 seconds. Yeah. And again, I don't, I don't understand the decision to do that other than like this, maybe they think that that's the version of change that more people are familiar with because it was on the radio. I don't, it's like, I feel like uh, super deluxe did a report on how they would have shaped superdeluxe.com. Like, here's what we would have done with this compilation. And mm-hmm. I think there was maybe some effort, mostly on the record label, although I guess Roland and Kirk were both influential in the sequencing. Okay. Since it's like, all right, we have to do Greatest Hits album. This is how we want it to be sequenced. We want it to be like a concert. We don't want it to be chronological. Mm-hmm. But I think like they tried to save time in certain spaces. So that's why you have the shout edit. You have the change edit. Sure. But then we still have the full album version of Sowing the Seeds of Love, the full album version of Woman in Chains. Which is like eight minutes long or something? Yeah, yeah. Both very long songs. Yeah. Well, we all know my feelings on, on Woman in Chains. So I. Yeah. Are you listening, Sean? <laughs> you out there, Sean Glennis? <laughs> Although I've come to love Woman in Chains personally, even though I've been on the fence, as big of a fan of my, as mm-hmm. that I am. I've come around to it. Yeah, I can say that I am 100% on board as a Tears for Fears fan, but not that song still. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So then after change, we actually get to the, uh, the the next new song, right? Yeah, we do. So again, this is kind of a, a weird thing because the, the first, the first new song is nestled among all of these big hits on, on what would be the A side. And then you, you switch to the B side and you still have some, some pretty big hits on here, uh, but certainly lesser songs in there. Uh, <laughs> I just want to use that word, honestly. Uh, and you have Stay, which again, this could be heresy. You were um, just rubbing the bridge of your nose. I. <laughs> he's distressed. I'm very distressed by this song. I'll be honest, I listened to it like two and a half times. And it was just, it was just a nope from me. Yeah. And it's not that it's like offensively bad. It's just Kurt, I'm sorry. I I, I know you're listening, Kurt. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. It just it it struck me as like very simplistic and muted and vanilla and it just it did not engage me. It sounded like an underdeveloped demo or like a a Kurt Smith solo song. Like I don't know and we've we've talked about our feelings of about Kurt Smith solo songs in the past, yeah. uh, but the, like, and maybe you can swing me on this one. It did not grab me in any way, shape, or form. Let me go through my thoughts, and I okay. think that this is probably just going to help your cause. <laughs> That's good. Um, it's always better because, like, you know, when we have, we have we have this podcast, and every once in a while we'll. we'll say something negative and then you know they'll, 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 they usually come at me because I'm more negative than you are <laughs> but it helps when you prop up my argument oh yeah of course <laughs> that's, that's why I'm here today <laughs> um, so just looking at the placement of Stay the brand new song it's right between Change and Pale Shelter two staples of their first album The Hurting initially my thought was like well this sort of harkens back in style to The Hurting like, mm-hmm. this is probably the closest they've come, in a way, to that style. It's a little bit more sparse. It's more um, just emotional. Mm-hmm. And I actually, I like the way it starts. I like the way Kurt sings it. Mm-hmm. But then the lyrics really get to me. Okay. And not in, like, a way that I want them to. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of the same issue I have, sorry, Kurt, with 
And this is a song that's written by him and Charlton Pettis. So this is like a Roland Less song. I think. And remind can, me who Charlton Pettis is. He's there. Uh, he's been Kurt Smith's collaborator since the '90s, and okay. he was like a big part of Everybody Loves a Happy Ending. He plays guitar with them on tour. Oh, nice. Okay. He's a co-songwriter with them on most of Everybody Loves a Happy Ending. Mm-hmm. Basically. A third member of the band, but not part of that peripheral duo. He's not the guy that we saw at Open Farm, right? The sad clown? No, that was uh, Michael Wainwright. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Charlton Pettis just plays lead guitar. Oh, okay. Great. During the show. Um, so it's just the two of them writing, and whenever Kurt does something solo, it's always him and Charlton Pettis. And this is like the quintessential, lyrically at least, and emotionally, a quintessential Kurt Smith song. And I'm not always on board with Kurt Smith's solo. I've always been in the Roland Orsville camp. Mm-hmm. Ever since I've been a fan. Yeah. Um, although, well, my thought is, is like, uh, again, like, and this harkens back to my views on 90s Tears for Fears. I think they're better when they combine forces. Like, it's, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's why this song is a little jarring, because it, I don't get any indication that Roland Orzabal's involved in this at all. Except I think you can hear him a little bit in the harmonies in the chorus. Sure. But, like, there's that one lyric... Towards the beginning of the song, like, damned if I do, damned if I know. I'm just like, that's like Kurt Smith's solo, hardcore. Like, just yeah. a reason to get, like, a slightly <laughs> non-TFF word into a song. Sure. Meaning damn. A curse word. Is that a curse word? Uh, yeah. It's close enough. What's, um, the, what's the naughtiest word Tears for Fears have ever used in a song? Um... Roland Orsville said the word fuck once in a Roland Orsville solo song. Oh, wow. Don't need a friend to tell you how to fuck your head. Day by day by day by day. There we go. Um, that's, that's some Tears for Fears Jeopardy trivia for you. And he did say bitch once, mm. but it was specifically referring to a female dog. Oh. <laughs> that's, that's okay. <laughs> right. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Were those the lyrics? Like, and your dog's a bitch, and I'm not being disparaging to women. <laughs> Close. Maybe he should have. Those this bitch could do some harm, baby. <laughs> um, I hope we don't get too many critical comments on my uh, my weird rolling orchestral voice. That, that was pretty good. That was very good. Thank you. Um, so stay. Yeah, um, there's aspects of it that I like, but ultimately I'm just, it's kind of clear to me that there's two songs that they put together for this compilation. It's like, we need one that's going to be a big hit, potentially a big hit, but isn't going to be, perhaps isn't going to fit into the new album. Sure, sure. And then we... Able to play a little bit of it. Oh, yeah. It's all right. Yeah, no problem. There we go. Steve, talk in the mic. Don't bend over and play with the mixer. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um... I lost my train of thought a little bit here. What was I saying? It was about how... This is the courteous Kurt song. Yes, this is the... Well, and this is a courtesy mm-hmm. to Kurt. Yeah, and you're not being courteous. Yeah. <laughs> to have the song on the album, I think. It's... I think that when they started their new partner... Renewed partnership, going even back to Everybody Loves a Happy Ending, mm-hmm. there needed to be some sort of division because you have two big egos yeah. here. And I think to placate Kurt Smith's ego, it's like, hey, yes, you can have your own song on this compilation. Mm-hmm. And the one big thing that separates, or the one, not even a big thing, but the only thing that can really separate this song 
from a between a Kurt Smith song solo and a Tears for Fear song is that it doesn't sound like Kurt Smith is whispering in your ear. Yeah, that's a hallmark of the Kurt Smith solo style. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this wasn't uh, this didn't grab me either. Um, initially, like I said, I like the way it starts. I like the kind of unconventional way that he the melody kind of starts to kick in. But yeah. And I will say too that it's interesting that again this would be the the side to the B side basically because mm-hmm. this feels like if this was a seven inch single it feels like a very like it feels like a B side non album track yes it feels very much like a B side mm-hmm. exactly uh, yeah for what's worth and and for some people I'm sure that they they connect with that and they're cool with it um, and that's fine but it's just like I, I'm I have yet to have this song grab me so we'll see and, and another thing about this too is and this is the problem with I mean, this is the problem with greatest hits compilations in general, but also with releasing new materials on a greatest hits compilation. Uh, Which, as an aside, if you're releasing two new songs on an album that's ostensibly greatest hits, it's like we don't know if these are hits yet. (laughs) It's it's kind of it's it's weird. But to to put this on there, it just it, it sticks out and not necessarily in a good way. Like it doesn't feel like. If you're trying to introduce fans, whether they're casual fans who are just buying greatest hits songs, it's like, oh, cool, I used to like this band. Or hardcore fans. It doesn't seem like a great way to hook a newer audience on, you know, this new material. I would never play this for a non-fan, or at least somebody that was trying to get interested mm-hmm. into the band. Um, sorry. <laughs> uh, I love you but I'm lost would even be on the fence but I'd be like well if you haven't heard Tears for Fears in a while like hey like maybe this isn't your style but clearly they still have the chops to create a song that has the potential to be a big contemporary hit like they don't sound like has-beens not that they sound like has-beens in stay either but it's just too too milk toast yeah it's uh, yeah it's definitely a deeper cut and that's mm. that's fine uh okay so now that we're off of new stuff, we get into, again, some alternate versions of, of classic songs. And this is this one has stuck with me for a while because I see this version of this song all the time, and I don't know what it means. So, Pale Shelter, which is one of my favorites, if not my favorite, Tears for Fears song. Uh, shout out to the prisoner. Uh <laughs> <laughs> This is the second single version. Yeah. Which is, it, it appears mm-hmm. on many a compilation. It seems to be like, I, I hesitate to call it the definitive version because I don't know what that means. What is, how many versions of Pale Shelter are there? What does second single version even mean? Like, what, what is the origin of this version of the song? So, second single version, um, when before Tears for Fears even had an album contract, they'd released. Two singles. They both flopped. The first single was the original version of Suffer the Children, and then they had another original version of Pale Shelter. So the single version of Pale Shelter that they recorded sometime in 1982 is markedly different than the Pale Shelter that we all know. The version that shows up on The Hurting and the version that's on the most greatest hits compilations. It's that the successful single version. So it's the second single version because it's the second version of the song that they recorded. Okay. And what is what is the, the basic difference between the first single and the second single version? Completely re-recorded. Oh, wow. Okay. Completely. I mean, it's the same song, but it just... I, I, 
I should have been better at this. I should have played you the original version at some point, mm-hmm. and we will after this podcast. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a completely different recorded version, completely different producer. Uh, they worked with a producer named Mike Howlett, and Pale Shelter second single version is obviously with them and Chris Hughes, who mm-hmm. did the hurting with them, did songs from the chair with them. Okay, okay, that makes sense. All right, so the, yeah, I guess that is sort of the definitive version. <laughs> yeah. But they haven't, I mean, it's only been recently that they've been marking it as the second single version. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think maybe just because more compilations and box sets have come out that have featured the original Pale Shelter version. Um, yeah, I would scratch that from the list here. I mean, we're looking at the Spotify list, but I mean, it is the definitive version. Okay, okay. Sure. Now, the next one that I want to talk about is this is a song I've got serious beef with <laughs> and I was I wish you could see my face because I was listening to this at work and that's basically what I do I just sit at my desk and listen to Spotify all day I, I mean I also work but uh, <laughs> mostly I just listen to Spotify uh when this came on I was aghast should we play it yeah let's play it um hold on I mean hang on he's uh just adjusting the levels here folks it'll just be a second uh get get ready Yeah, yeah. Um, boy, I, I, mean, I think we both have a lot to say about this, and I don't think we've really covered it that much in past episodes. Um, specifically, we're talking about Mother's Talk, and this is the 1986 U.S. remix version. Which blows! <laughs> it is so bad, it takes out everything that's, like, goofy and weird and cool and fun about the actual song. Yep. Like, where's, where's my, like, synthesized marimba madness? It's not there. I am... Um, so they've talked about the song a lot in recent years. Um, and for some reason, they... Well, I mean, there probably are a few reasons that I'm, I can get into, but neither Rule nor Kurt like the original version of Mother's Talk. And I think that a lot of that has to do with pressures from the record label, because this is at the time they're recording songs from the big chair. And they were pressured to come out with a single as quickly as possible, and Mother's Talk was the first song they had ready and available. And they didn't feel like it was quite what they wanted, but the record label pushed it. It wasn't that big of a hit for them in the UK, but they still were forced to have that as the first single, as opposed to like Shout, or Everybody Wants to Rule the World, or even Head Over Heels. Um, So they've always been kind of frustrated with it, and they've never been big fans of it. And I think that that's insane. Yeah, <laughs> because and I get it like I'm not the artist who created it so they have the opinions they have because they have a certain vision but to me the original mother's talk that shows up on songs from the big chair is incredible yeah um, and one uh, one of the best like proto synth pop songs of the 80s Rolling Stone recognized it as such mm-hmm. and I think the thing that I love about mother's talk really is it's Probably, I mean, it's a fun, dancey pop song, but it's also one of their most, like, adventurous tracks mm-hmm. and, and one of their most avant-garde. And if you if you listen to this with, like, think about when it came out. So this is what, 1986? Uh, this remix version? Uh, well, I mean, no, the original. The original would have been 84, 85. 84, 85, okay. So think about when that came out and then listen, think about, like, 1980s, late 80s, early 90s hip hop, mm-hmm. and how there's so many sounds like synth sounds, like those those synth hits that are in the beginning, and 
just the, the backbeat with the drums and everything. Think about how much of that is either informed by, but also influenced like that era of hip hop, which is crazy to think that two like white British dudes <laughs> have this song that is so like, like deeply tied to, to hip hop culture. And then later, I mean, didn't, didn't like Kanye sample this or something? Um, I don't know if Kanye did. I know he, I mean, they've, a lot of their songs have been sampled by hip hop artists mm -hmm. for ages. They've been highly inf influential. Um, I don't remember who sampled Mother's Talk, mm -hmm. but yeah, like that was like right on the cusp of yeah. all of that, of mainstream hip hop 10 years later. And it's so, I mean, like parts of it are, are like just goofy and over the top, but it's so perfect. I think I talked about this mm -hmm. with you when we did the, uh, uh, the episode for uh, this album. Uh, Songs from the Big Chair. Songs from the Big Chair. Yeah, sorry. Blank there for a second. <laughs> Yeah, you know, uh, just the, one of the biggest albums in the 1980s. Uh, anyways, <laughs> I, I think I mentioned this, but like it remind, it was ripped off for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles <laughs> for the Go Ninja Go Ninja Go like Vanilla Ice song. Like that's that's how big this was, and it's it's ridiculous to think that they would put this like muted, neutered version that, in mm. my opinion, is poorly mixed, mm. completely re-recorded, completely re-recorded literally sucks the life out of the song to the point where it's barely recognizable to yeah. me. And I think at the time, it was 86 when they re-recorded it, so they were trying to really get away from, and a lot of bands are trying to do that. The new wave was starting to fall out of favor, so a lot of bands are trying to get back to natural instruments, for uh, lack of a better term. So they wanted to have this live sound of the song. They wanted it to, I guess, breathe more, be more expressive. And I think in turn that took all the expression of Mother's Talk out of it. Yeah. Um, I've never been, I've, I'm a fan of the video they filmed for this version. <laughs> but yeah, I'm always bummed out when I hear this version. And it, it actually bums me out a little bit that it sounds like they prefer this version of the song. Mm -hmm. Although I recently read an interview with Jamie Woolham, who was their touring drummer. And they asked him, like, hey, what's, like, one song you don't play live that you really want to? And he's like, well, in sound checks, we've been playing Mother's Talk, and I really hope we can fit it into a set sometime. Please, we've been begging you. Let's make it work. Let's make it happen, guys. Come on. I, I, got, I got a $20 bill here. I'll tell you what. My record label will press Everybody <laughs> Loves a Happy Ending for free. Ooh. We'll, we'll, we'll cover all the costs, give you all the profits. All you got to do is next time you roll through Wisconsin or Michigan or anywhere in the Midwest, just, just play Mother's Talk. That's it. That's all I'm asking. A simple request. You've been sound checking it, right? Yeah. Sound check it. Come on. Come on. You can play it. I know you can do it. Uh, a couple other things in this conversation that I want to talk about <laughs> before we get into what might be my favorite discovery of the week, Ooh. which is a little teaser for the end of this oh. podcast. Uh, Raul and the Kings of Spain pops up, second to last track. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, is this the first time that song has appeared on a, a Greatest Hits compilation? No, actually. Um, so in 2006, Tears for Fears were supposed to come out with this like special compilation. It was going to be like they were going to curate the whole thing. It was going to be this big deal. But then the record label got involved and they're like, hey, no, we just want to put out the greatest hits. And they're like, well, if you do the usual suspects, we're just going to tell our fans not to buy it. <laughs> so what came out was a quietly released compromise, the very generic, like, Tears for Fears Gold. And it was a two-disc set. 
uh, features all the greatest hits, but then the second disc has like four songs from Everybody Loves a Happy Ending. And it also has Royal and the Kings of Spain and God's Mistake on it. Okay, okay. And I think part of the reason why you don't see that song pop up on their compilations is because Universal does not own the master to that song. It's Epic Records. Oh, that's um, interesting. Yeah, because Roland like, switched labels in 95. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, if you listen to this on Spotify, if you'll notice, when you play Roland the Kings of Spain, the album cover changes. Oh. Because if you're pulling from Spotify, the streaming service... It's just going to grab it from that album. Okay. Um, if you buy the compact disc, obviously the song is going to be there. But I'm sure to save money, they just cull it from the actual source. That's kind of On streaming services. Huh. Yeah, I, I thought it was a, a, a weird pick just because it's a very Roland song. Like it's mm. very personal, obviously, at a point where Kurt wasn't involved with the group. Uh, and then... It's also not God's mistake, which is that's no. that's my jam off of Rod Wolf. So well, it's kind of like I was saying with uh, at the beginning that this compilation is clearly just like all the top forty hits. Rolling the Kings of Spain was actually a top forty hit in the UK. Oh. It was the only top forty hit off of that album. I did not know that. I think it was like number thirty nine. Yeah. And same thing with uh, Closest Thing to Heaven, which I guess we'll get to. But yeah. yeah. Um, it is kind of jarring though to hear Rolling the Kings of Spanish, especially after I leave. Yeah. Which I question why that's included on this compilation. Is that the one where Roland's topless in the video? Yeah. Yeah, that's why it's included. <laughs> <laughs> and again, that's another top 40 UK hit, but here's another compilation with over half of songs from the big chair on it. Mm-hmm. I think they could have eliminated it, I believe, or if they were going to have it on there, use the single version, which is a more livelier, soulful version. Mm-hmm. And... But if they could have left that off, we could have had more songs from Everybody Loves a Happy Ending. Sure, sure, sure. Or even the titular track from Elemental. That would have been nice, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, before we wrap up the discussion of Greatest Hits album, uh, the, the closing track, Closest Thing to Heaven, it's the only Everybody Loves a Happy Ending song yep. on this compilation. And it, it's not, even for a Greatest Hits compilation, it's not like an album closer to me. No, like, not at all. What what is what is it on on everybody loves a happy ending? Second song. Yeah, two. It's yeah, it's yeah, second track, and it's I don't know. It's it's a weird way to, to end this one. It's so tacked on to the end. It's like oh well, okay. So they had two other top forty hits after nineteen ninety three. I'll just throw those on so you make sh- make sure that they're all there. But even though closest thing to heaven was a top forty hit for them in the UK <laughs> at number forty, yeah. Um, I question its use here because if you go to see Tears for Fears live right now, like we went, I went to at least two shows on their Hall and Oates co-headlining tour. Mm-hmm. They didn't play Closest Thing to Heaven. Nope. And granted, if you go to like a full set, they may play that song at this point occasionally. They don't yeah. even play it at every show. But every Tears for Fears show since 2004, you've heard Secret World and you've heard Everybody Loves a Happy Ending. Yeah. And I think either one of those songs would have been a better introduction to that album and probably would, at this point, would have been even more recognizable to casual fans. Mm-hmm. So I question why neither one of those songs is on this compilation. Yeah, it's, I, I agree completely. Like, I like Closest Thing to Heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't have a problem with it as a song, but as an album closer, like, Secret World would be just oh, incredible. Man. Like, that, that song is so underrated. And it's so... God, it, it almost sounds like a Flaming Lips song. 
Yeah. <laughs> like if, if that was if that was a, a B side from the soft bulletin or something, I wouldn't be surprised. Like that's yeah. that's how that song resonates with me. Well, and I can imagine too. A lot of casual fans are going to be buying this record. A lot of them already have. Mm-hmm. And if they would have come across if they would have come across if they come across closest thing to heaven, it's like oh, okay, that's a nice breezy little hit. It's three and a half minutes. Okay, cool. Yeah. But if they would have come across like Secret World or Everybody Loves a Happy Ending, they would have probably had their minds blown and they would have wanted to run out and get a copy of that album. Oh yeah, especially Everybody Loves... I mean, I think the problem is you could have had Secret World here, but they're sticking with these these bigger hits. I think the problem with Everybody Loves a Happy Ending is it's such a side one, track one song. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it literally starts with an alarm clock and wake up. Like, it's just... <laughs> It's it's the it's the quintessential side one track one and uh, I, I just I don't think it I don't think it works as a closer and mm-hmm. so you'd have to like rearrange the track listing and then it's like well do you want that song intermingling with this this a side of this uh, greatest hits album that is so hits heavy yeah. you know uh, but yeah like overall I guess my thoughts on this on this compilation is do we need another Tears for Fears greatest hits album. No. Am I glad that we at least got two new singles? Yes. I mean, mostly because I like recording these podcasts with you. But <laughs> <laughs> what, what are your thoughts on it? Like, where does this rank in in the the vast discography of greatest hits albums for Tears for Fears? Um, I think it's. <laughs> I get why it's there, and. It also happens to be working very well for them right now. I think Tears for Fears is bigger than they've ever been. Mm-hmm. They just did. I mean, granted, they co-headlined, but they just had a big arena tour. And now, on the back of this record, they sold out Royal Albert Hall a couple weeks ago. That's huge. And now they're on this huge UK tour where they're playing to tens of thousands of people every night. Sold out. So it's working. So in that respect, like I think this is actually a master marketing stroke. Mm-hmm. That being said, this compilation is not worth it. Are there any songs that aren't featured? Like, I, I know you said you'd, you'd cut like I Believe, but like, what what songs that aren't here would you include on a, on a Greatest Hits album? If this was Steve Coleman's Greatest Hits, what's missing? I would definitely have at least two more, at least two more songs from Everybody Loves a Happy Ending. I think you need to include Call Me Mellow on there as well. That was actually a pretty big hit for them. Okay. Um, I would include one or two more songs from Elemental and Raul and the Kings of Spain. I would maybe, oh, let's see. I mean, otherwise, I, I would probably make this a double album. Mm-hmm. Or I would at least get rid of I Believe. I would also probably, I might get rid of Stay. Ooh. <laughs> Take it tonight. Yeah. I would definitely keep uh, I Love You But I'm Lost. Mm-hmm. I would also put on um, uh, Late So Low, Tears Roll Down from their original Greatest Hits from 1992. Yeah. Because it shows a lot of range. And it's also, I've noticed that since this compilation has come out, all of their other compilations have gone missing from streaming sites. Oh. So now that song doesn't That's a exist. That's strategic move. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So they're clearly pushing this as the definitive compilation. And I think that's bullshit because it's missing mm-hmm. a lot of their really good material. And there's not enough on here to pull people onto the albums they would normally not purchase. Like 
there's no reason to buy songs from the big chair after you listen to this because you're only out two songs essentially well three songs yeah. but broken is part of head over heels let's yeah. face it uh no I, I would agree and that's why i think even as far as greatest hits compilations go i, I like when bands go the route of best of or just career retrospectives because I, I feel like it gives them more freedom to dig into b-sides and and include songs that may not have been top 40 hits but are still like essential to defining what that band is and has been over the years and yeah i mean this this hits most of the the big marks from their their golden years <laughs> during the mm -hmm. mid 1980s but i feel like it does a disservice to maybe their less popular albums. Yeah. So you mentioned B-sides. I wanted to make this point because if we were talking about I Believe and I totally forgot. Mm -hmm. This never would happen, but the B-side I Believe is Sea Song, which is a cover of the Robert Wyatt song, Sea Song. Okay. And I think it's one of the most beautiful things they've ever done. That cover of that Robert Wyatt song, and they totally rearranged it. It's very different from the original. If anybody's familiar with Robert Wyatt, he's a prog rock guy, bound to a wheelchair, card-carrying communist, very uh, avant-garde. Jesus. Very good stuff. Uh, their version of Sea Song is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. um, I just wanted to plug that. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever talked about it on the what podcast. What are we going to do, man? Uh, so there's, there's one. I want to... <laughs> we've had a pretty in-depth discussion here, right? <laughs> no, it's not. we've had some weird deviations. Uh, I mean, we we talked about my my undergraduate flock of seagulls project, so <laughs> we've been going on a limb here. Um, I do want to end on kind of a goofy, positive note. Ah. Uh, so, a couple days ago, I was listening to this very comp uh, compilation on Spotify, Rule the World. And when you go to a band's page, they always have, like, underneath the band's name and stuff on Spotify, they have, oh, here's the newest stuff. And for a while, it was this album, was Rule the World, The Greatest Hits. And then all of a sudden, on November 17th, something else popped up. And I was very confused. So I literally, I, I like, copy-pasted a link to Steve Colmer. I was like, what the hell is this? So hold on, I'm going to turn off the, uh, the level here. Uh, yeah. You playing it? I am right now. All right. What in God's name is <laughs> Head Over Heels <laughs> Talamanca System Remix? What? What am I? What is this? What am I listening to? As far as I know, it's a new. Well, it's not new, but it's a. Uh, want to say Caribbean influenced style of house club music mm -hmm. that's becoming very popular I believe in UK clubs okay and they probably somebody approached them with like hey can we remix one of your songs and tell them they probably just like wrote it off like alright fine whatever and for some reason it's listed as Tears for Fears in Tourist Single yeah and maybe they are in that is like front and center when you go to their yeah. Spotify page which is horrifying and it's the drizzling shits. Yeah, I, I believe. I believe when I when I sent it to you, my exact words were like, "It sounds like rusted root." <laughs> and, and let me expand on that. It sounds like rusted root taking a dump on a Tears for Fears album at a '90s rate. Yeah, it is horrific. I want. I just bask in this right now. I'm gonna turn up. I'm gonna turn up the song. Like, how can you ruin? Such an iconic song. <laughs> and it's not, it's not even head over heels. All they have is the vocal track. Yeah. 
Everything else is just like animal noises and djembes and I don't even know what else. <laughs> you know, if, if I was uh, if I was introducing someone to Tears for Fears for the first time, I would actually just make a, I'd burn a CD, circa 2002, and it would just be this song <laughs> 14 times. That's it. Nothing else. Well, if somebody's checking out Tears for Fears for the first time, they're using Spotify. It's like, oh, I should just check out the latest well, thing they've done. Tears. Yeah. And this is the shit they're going to get. Yep. <laughs> That's what they're going to get. It's horrifying. All right. Well, <laughs> on that note. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Steve Coleman, we got to wrap this one up. Uh, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me at Colmania on Twitter. That is at K-O-H-L-M-A-N-I-A. All right. Uh, so if you guys have any questions, comments, uh, if, if you have some ideas for our next episode, something like that, or you just want to say, hey, uh, optimismvaccine at gmail.com. Roland Kurt, if you're listening, the offer's still out. I'll press your album, man. Just, you know, let me know. Uh, it's a serious <laughs> offer. It's a serious offer. I have, I, I have the bandwidth to do this, guys. Let's let's make it happen. Uh, also, if you want to hit me up on Twitter at Steve Huff, that's at Steve C U F F. I'm a nice guy on Twitter. We can be friends. Let's make it happen. In addition to that, you can go to optimismvaccine.com for all kinds of additional content from us. We do all kinds of work, podcasts, articles on pop culture, weird stuff, all kinds of things. Also, make sure if you're listening to this right now, I'm sure you're listening to it via iTunes. Go to iTunes and do us a huge favor. Go to the Optimism Vaccine podcast feed. Give us five stars. Do a written review. It's very, very, very important. Why is it important? Because uh, the higher our star, our star count is and the more written reviews we have, the more visible we are. The more visible we are more people can discover our podcast and more people who discover our podcast. Not only do they get to learn about Tears for Fears and my Tears for Fears journey with Tears for Fears super fan Stephen Coleman, but it gives the band all kinds of exposure, which, come on, they got a new album. How about that? How about that? Be ready for the tipping point in 2018. Also, I also want to plug this. Uh, We have a Patreon that we're going to be starting soon for Optimism Vaccine where, uh, you know, you can give us like a buck a month or something like that. And the more money we raise for that, the more content we can put out for you guys. Uh, We really want to do more episodes of this podcast. It's the most popular podcast on the Alphabet's Vaccine Network. So thank you guys for being awesome and and listening to the podcast and giving us your feedback. Like it's been super, like even on Twitter when people just randomly tweet you, Steve, and they're like, hey, when are you doing a new episode? Like that means a lot to us. So definitely reach out to us. Check us out on Patreon. Check us out on iTunes. Uh, Tell your friends. Tell all your friends. All right. Tell all your flock of seagulls fans that they, they should listen. Yeah. They suck. That's right. Say, hey, I ran from flock of seagulls to tears of fears. <laughs> That's all we got. <laughs> that was good. Good app.